So we're rounding out our time uh, in the book of Galatians. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to Galatians 6. No. Mike, are we getting the feedback maybe worked out a bit here? Um, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. So uh, for those of you that have been with us during our time in Galatians, you know that, uh, that Paul has written this letter to uh, a group of churches in the region of Galatia. Uh, in order to combat uh, false teaching. Some people had, had come in uh, to the area behind Paul after the, the gospel that Paul preached, and they began to tell the Galatians that the gospel that Paul preached was not a sufficient gospel, um, that you had to do other things uh, besides the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, they would come in and tell the Galatians that they had to be circumcised and that they had to do something uh, in order to find their favor with God. And, and Paul hears about this and he writes a letter to them uh, combating this idea that, that there's anything that needs to be added uh, to the message of the gospel. And so that's just a brief context of Galatians. And so we've been working our way uh, through this book. Um, <clears throat> Paul combating this, this idea. Time to switch to some paper notes now. <laughs> Uh, combating this idea uh, that the gospel uh, needs any help or that what Jesus has done for us needs uh, our help to be effective. So as we pick up in Galatians chapter 6, I want to I read to you a, a news story. This is out of Alameda, California, and it was from March of 2011. March of 2011, Alameda police and firefighters stood by and they watched as a man drowned off of Crown Beach. Authorities at that time were trying to explain why they had no choice but to stand on the shoreline. Alameda police received a call shortly before noon on this particular day from a woman saying that her son wanted to kill himself. His name was Raymond Zach. He was 53 years old. And he walked out into the water uh, in this cold water off the beach and just stood there. I thought it was kind of weird they weren't going out to bring the guy in, you know. He was out there. His head was above water and he was looking at everybody. There was plenty of time to react, a witness stated. For more than an hour, this man stood up to his neck in the frigid surf. We all expected to see at some point there would be a concern for him and somebody would go out there and pull him in, another witness said. About 75 beachgoers couldn't understand why Alameda police officers and firefighters stood idly by and watched the man slowly succumb to the 60-degree water. We're not trained to go in the water. Obviously, the type of gear that we have on and don't have the type of equipment that you would use to go into the water, Alameda Police Lieutenant Joe McNiff said. The man was 150 yards out. It was too shallow for a Coast Guard boat, and its helicopter was on another call, and it arrived far too late. It's horrible, Barlow said. How can we let this happen? How can our emergency personnel allow that to happen? I don't get it. I just don't understand it. The Alameda Fire Department says that budget constraints were preventing it from recertifying its firefighters in land-based water rescues. Without it, the city would be open to liability. Well, if I was, if I was off duty, I know what I would do, but I think you're asking me my on-duty response, and I would have to say within our policies and procedures because that's what's required of our department to do. Alameda Fire Division Chief Richie Zombeck said when asked by ABC News Channel 7 if he would enter the water to save a drowning child. Alameda firefighters could not even go into the water to get the body in, so they waited for a woman in her 20s who volunteered to bring the body back to the beach. 
The frustration is certainly understandable, and I think the sensibility would be probably that we're going to have to evaluate our responses, said the chief. Alameda fire officials say that they're going to have a serious discussion about why, as an island city, they don't have the ability to save people in danger in the water. Now, this is a true story. This actually actually happened um, back in, in 2011. And, and you hear that story, and if you're like me, you're thinking, like, this is, this is crazy. <laughs> this is crazy. How is it that this happened? How is it that people just stood idly by and watched a man succumb uh, to the coldness of the water and die without anybody, let alone our first responders, doing anything about it? It's kind of nuts. I wanted to share that story as, as a setup for uh, our text today in Galatians chapter 6. And I'm just going to read our text, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, and then we'll, we'll get into uh, what all this means to us. Brothers, Paul says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his, his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunities, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul talks in these these verses here about bearing one another's burdens and about sharing life together. And so that, that's what we're going to talk about today. Bearing and sharing out of Galatians chapter six, verses one through 10. And so Paul starts off by saying brothers or brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And so Paul kind of places this obligation uh, or a, a duty uh, on us as Christians. That if we see any one of our brothers and sisters who is caught in a transgression, who is caught in sin, who is living a life, who, who would profess faith in Christ and is living a life that's not consistent with their profession of faith, that it's our job as those who are spiritual, those who are followers of Christ, to restore the transgressor and to do so with a spirit of gentleness. Now, sometimes it's the easiest thing in the world to look at somebody and point a finger and be angry at them for their sin, is it not? Especially when somebody's wronged us, when, when their sin is coming in our direction. It's easy to be angry. But Paul, Paul says here, he's not saying don't be angry at the sinner. He's not saying to be offended by the sinner. Really, this is a call to love the sinner, and that as brothers and sisters in Christ that we're obligated to one another because of our mutual faith in the gospel, that, that we would restore the one who is caught in transgression. Now, th this is not fun necessarily. This is not 
something that we enjoy on either end of it, whether you're, you're the, the sinner, the transgressor, or you're the one trying to restore somebody. Nobody likes this. It's not a fun part of the process. It's not something that we look forward to necessarily. But Paul would tell us here that it's a sign of our spirituality. In other words, it's one of the ways that our faith works itself out in our lives is that we would be willing to help keep our brothers and sisters accountable. And I don't know about you, but I'll just speak for me. Like I need people in my life from time to time that, that need to come and tell me, hey, man, pull your head out. I've, I've had that happen in my life. I don't enjoy it. I need it. Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I do know. And I just choose to do anyway. But I need faithful brothers and faithful sisters in my life who, who will be this for me. And, and you are just like me in that you need this as well. You need this as well. We need this for each other. Now, remember from a few weeks back, the, the section just before this, at the end of chapter 5, Paul tells us, what it looks like when we live according to our flesh and what it looks like when we live according to God's spirit in us. And they're very, very different. And we'll get into that more here in a moment. But then Paul gives us this warning in verse one. It says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So, so he gives us this obligation that as brothers and sisters in Christ, because of our mutual faith in the gospel, that, that it's our delightful duty that we would help one another in our battle with sin. But then he gives us this reminder to keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And, and this is kind of an equalizing statement because when, when I realize that I'm a sinner, just like you, when I realize that, that I can be tempted and, and I need help in my life at times from you, then that allows me to help you in a way that keeps me humble, right? Because who am I to point the finger at you when next week the roles could be reversed and you could be the one reminding me, hey, brother, you're walking in sin right now. And so understanding our own propensity to sin, Paul is telling us that that keeps us humble and that helps us restore one another, not in a way where we're offended by the sin of another, not in a way where we're angry at somebody else because they sin in different ways than we do. But, but in a way that, that we can come in humility to one another and say, hey, I, I need to make you aware of this thing in your life that you may or may not be aware of. And then Paul takes it a step further. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ in verse 2. The story that I shared with you, part of why I shared it was that this was a man who had a burden and nobody was willing to go bear his burden. There were 75 people on the beach and not a single person was willing to walk out and, and help this man that in a moment had a burden that ultimately caused him to take his own life. Paul not only commands us to bear one another's burdens, but he gives us the reason for this. And he says, so fulfill the law of Christ. And so we have to ask the question, what is, it that, what is the law of Christ that would cause us to bear one another's burdens? In Luke chapter 10, it goes like 10.25 says, uh, Behold, a lawyer, and he put Jesus to the test and he said, Teacher, what shall to an eternal life. And he said to him, 
What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. Elsewhere, Jesus says, basically the entirety of the Old Testament is summed up in these statements, love God with everything that you have, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these books of the law and the prophets that we have are summed up in those two statements. Love God with everything and love your neighbor as you would love yourself. This is the law of Christ, the law of love. Uh, if you missed last week's Wednesday table talk, I would encourage you to tune in. We talked a little bit about what love is and how, how the world defines love versus how the Bible defines love. And the short answer is that the world defines love in a very transactional sort of way. If you do for me, I'll do for you. You love me, I'll love you. If you help me, I'll help you. If you benefit me, I'll benefit you. But the Bible defines love not, not in a transactional way, but, but Christ did for us, like Christ died for his enemies. He, he did for us what we could and would never do for ourselves while we were his enemies, while we were as humanity actively against him. That's not transactional at all. Christ did for us when we wouldn't do for him. That's the kind of love that the Bible talks about. And what Paul is saying here in this command to bear one another's burdens, so fulfilling the law of Christ, what he's saying is that there is no separation between loving God and loving what God loves. You can't separate it. I think Pastor David mentioned a week or two ago, you've, you've seen the bumper sticker, I love God, but not so much his people, right? We've all seen that or heard people say something to that effect. And what Paul is saying here is like, you can't separate that. You can't say that I love God, yet at the same time not love the things that God loves. And what God loves are his people. God loves the people so much, so much so that Christ died, that God gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life, John three sixteen. And so Paul obligates us to restore the sinner in a spirit of gentleness. He, he motivates us by reminding us of the law of Christ. And he encourages us that there is no separation between loving God and loving the things that God loves. And then in verses 3 to 5, he gives us this Exhortation. He says that if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. So Paul reminds us that for the Christian, all that we are is because of Christ. And if we think any other way, Paul says that, that we're deceived, that we're fooling ourselves. Our boast as Christians should not be in what we do for others. The Pharisees of Jesus' day were known for this. They were known for standing out on the corner and, and praying so everybody could see them. Now, not because they were necessarily praying sincerely, but because they wanted to be seen by others. And Jesus sharply rebuked them for that. Here, Paul is telling us to measure 
the things that we do to measure our faith, not by comparison to others, but by how we keep God's commandments ourselves. Right at the end of the day, we have to look at our life and say, here's my profession of faith. On the one hand, I, I would say that I love Christ. Right? Maybe I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are, are here today. Right? I go to church. Tune in on Wednesdays. Maybe go to a home group. Right? All these, all these things that, that maybe would show that, that we love Christ. But Paul is saying here, don't, don't for a second think because of those things that you're something. Because at the end of the day, you are a sinner and I am a sinner and we both needed Christ to do for us the things that we could and would never do for ourselves. We're all equal in that regard. There's not one of us, one of us that's better or worse than another. We're all equal in that way. We need the redemption that Christ offers. And so Paul is saying, don't, don't boast that you might go to church two or three times a week or church activities. Don't, don't boast necessarily that, that you read your Bible every day. Don't, don't boast necessarily in that you help your elderly neighbor get by and do things around the house. Those are all noble and commendable things. But Paul is saying, don't, don't boast in those kinds of things. Don't fool yourself for a second in thinking because of those things that, that you're somebody or that you have an extra standing with Christ compared to people who don't do the things that you do. This is where we quickly get into trouble. When we begin trying to measure our faith in accordance to how it looks compared to the faith of others. Right, as Pastor David mentioned just a few minutes ago, like the Christian life, it's a fight. It's a fight against sin. And sometimes that fight is really difficult. Sometimes it's not so difficult and we feel like we're getting some victory. Other days, like it's just a battle, right? And we can't look at the good days and think, well, I'm doing really good and God really loves me. And then look at the bad days and say, well, I'm not doing so good. God must not be pleased with me. Right at the end of the day, we've got to be able to look at what Christ has done for us and rest in what Christ has done for us. Trust in what Christ has done for us. Hope in what Christ has done for us. Because if it's left up to me, I'm going to screw it up. And then Paul, the end of verse, in verse 5, says that each one will have to bear his own load. So just a, a couple of verses back, Paul says to bear one another's burdens. And then here he says, bear your own load. It seems like there's maybe a bit of a contradiction here in what Paul is saying. There's not. But at first glance, it kind of seems like there's a contradiction. I, just in case you don't know, the Bible was not written in English. The Bible was written in, in other languages. And sometimes to get an understanding of what the Bible is saying, we have to go back to these original languages in which the Bible is written and do a little bit of work to figure out because there's not always a one-to-one -one translation from Greek to English or from Hebrew to English, right? And this is one of those moments where we have to go back uh, to the original language of the Bible and see what, what is Paul trying to say to us here exactly. Paul says to bear one another's burdens, that word burdens, he's talking about difficulties. He's saying bear one another's difficulties, bear one another's hardships, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Because Christ bared our burden of sin. He bared our difficulty. He bared our, bore our hardship. 
when we get to verse five and, and he says that each one is to bear his own load, that word load, think of it as like a backpack to, to kind of carry, carry your own weight, bear the burden of others, but carry your own weight. And let me give you some examples here. And this, I, I, I borrowed this from a commentary because I thought it was really helpful. And so one commentator to illustrate the difference between burdens and loads gave these examples. Think about a young man who constantly gets up late for work or school because he stays up playing video games all night and asks you to wake him up every morning so he doesn't lose his job or flunk out of school. Or how about a guy who spends all of his money on beer and cigarettes and lottery tickets and refuses to look for a job and then asks you to borrow money? Or a business businessman who works 12-hour days, including Saturdays, and asks you to take his son to all of his baseball practices and games. Those would be examples of loads that, that like you ought to bear your own load in this, right? It's, it's not responsible to ask somebody else to bear those kinds of loads. Those are your own responsibilities. Here's an example of burdens that we might bear with one another. A married couple that has three children... Uh, and one day there's an accident. One of the parents dies in a car wreck and the remaining parent and the kids have needs. Those are opportunities where as Christians, we would come alongside one another and bear the burden of one another. Or maybe a scenario where a husband abandons his wife for another woman and he leaves her with four kids at home and she needs help meeting daily responsibilities. That would be an example of burdens that we would bear for one another. So fulfilling the law of Christ. Or lastly, an older faithful church member gets sick and is having a hard time and she needs help with meals, transportation, occasional living expenses, help around the house. Those are examples, again, of burdens that we might bear for one another. So do you see the difference between bearing one another's burdens and carrying your own load? Paul, Paul is saying, fulfill your own responsibilities. Take care of the things in your own life that, that you ought to take care of, right? Be responsible for yourself. But at the same time, it fulfills the law of Christ when we bear the burdens of one another, the things in life that are just so difficult that we can't get through alone. Now, I realize, and I'm guessing that the Apostle Paul realizes as well, that some of us, some of us are just wired to try to go it on our own, right? Some of us are just kind of built that way. Maybe some of us are too prideful to ask for help or to receive help. But what Paul is showing us here is that it's an outworking of our Christian faith and the way that we live is that, that we would bear one another's burdens, that we would be responsible for ourselves, that we would bear one another's burdens, and that we would walk through difficulties together. Because there's not a single one of us here, I would suspect, that hasn't walked through some sort of difficulty in life. And I just know, speaking for me, difficulties are significantly less difficult when you have a support system that's built into your life. And I'll, I'll share one quick example. A few years ago, uh, my wife and I both wrecked our cars on the same day going over Lava Butte in the winter. We totaled both of our vehicles. Um, Jill rolled her car three times. With, with a couple of my kids in it. And everybody was okay. Everybody walked away. 
vehicles were damaged, but no people were hurt, um, other than a few nicks and scrapes. Um, difficult day, to say the least. And and I remember that day, like I put a post out on Facebook, just letting our friends know, hey, this, this has happened to us. And the outpouring of, of my friends was overwhelming. People getting hold of saying, hey, we've got a vehicle that you can borrow until you can figure something out. People offering to, to bring, your, bring us meals, which we didn't necessarily need at that time. Just people offering to help in all sorts of ways. As a matter of fact, a, another local church who uh, the pastor was a friend of mine, they, they sent us a check for $500 just out of the blue. We didn't even ask for that. Um, didn't put out a, you know, didn't do a GoFundMe or say, hey, we need money to replace our cars. They just thought, hey, here's another pastor in town that's struggling. Let's, you know, their elders decided, let's send them 500 bucks. It was super meaningful and it made a difficult thing a whole lot less difficult um, and I remember just that next week, um, you know, like that, that was a rough weekend and, and you're just kind of stewing, you know, wallowing in the difficulty, like this, this circumstance kind of stinks. But, but as much as it did stink, it was so cool to see the overwhelming amount of people in our life that said, let me bear this burden with you. Right. And, and that, that might not be like you, you may have had far worse difficulties than what I'm describing. Right. This this uh, this was something that quickly passed. Right. That there are worse difficulties to walk through than that. That's just a recent example in my mind that, that I was just thankful that there were people that helped bear that burden for me and for my family in that difficult time. And this is what Paul is talking about. He goes into this next section of verses, starting in verse 6, and it seems like that, that maybe these verses are disconnected from the first five, but, but they're not, and I'm going to show you why they're not. The first five verses, Paul is talking about bearing one another's burdens and, and uh, kind of lives rubbing up against each other. But in verses 6 through 10, Paul is uh, talking more about um, the life that we live and how we share it with one another and that we willingly do so. Again, this comes as a result of our mutual faith in Christ. And so in verse six, Paul says, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This seems like a random sentence in the middle of some things where this might not make sense. But what Paul is saying here, Paul talks elsewhere about um, how churches, congregations ought to support their pastors financially. Now, Paul would say that, but at the same time, he was one that as he would travel from place to place, sometimes would set aside his, his right to, to being compensated by the church as a teacher of the word, because he didn't want anybody to think that he was in it for the money. He didn't want the message of the gospel to be lost in the fact that, that he also needed to draw a paycheck and eat. So, so I think that's probably in view here, but I think what Paul is saying here is maybe, maybe a little more broad than just that. And I can tell you, just on behalf of all of the pastors, there, there's nothing greater that can happen on a Sunday morning than somebody coming up to us after we've preached a sermon and said, you said this, and, and here, here's how it affected me, or here's what I learned from this. Like we appreciate the attaboys and we appreciate the good jobs and the pats on the back. Like those, we appreciate those very much. But when somebody says, you said this thing or you, you made this come alive in a way that I've never heard before, or I understood this, we might not, we might not have a huge smile on our face right then, but on the inside, there's no, there's no greater joy in a pastor when someone says, I understood the word today. <laughs> That might be in view here too, Paul talking about sharing all good things with the one who teaches. 
Paul might also have in, in view here just the idea of believers sharing their lives together. Sharing their lives together. He goes on to say in verse 7 to 9, says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Now, this is where I would call your attention back to chapter 5. Paul talks about at the end of chapter 5, the tension between the spirit and the flesh. If you weren't here a few weeks ago, uh, we recorded that sermon and it's online. I would encourage you to go back and, and give it a listen. But Paul kind of makes it sound the end of chapter 5 as if there's a tug of war happening inside of the believer. The flesh drawing us in a direction, the spirit drawing us in a direction. Or maybe if, if you're a Looney Tunes fan like I am, you might remember a little angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder, both whispering in your ear to do a thing or not do a thing. We can all relate to this because we've all had this struggle at one time or another between the things that we know that we should do and the things that we know that we shouldn't do. But here in chapter six, Paul uses a different analogy talking about the spirit and the flesh. And he talks about as if there's two different fields and you can plant seeds in this field and you can plant seeds in that field. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever worked on a farm. I've, I've never worked on a farm. I've never grown anything in my life. But, but I know, I know that if you put a carrot seed in the ground a short time later, you're going to have carrots, right? If you, if you drop a potato in the ground a short time later, you're going to have a potato. It's just kind of the law of nature, the way that it works. If you plant a certain kind of seed, predictably, you know what's going to sprout out of the ground. Right? You don't have to be uh, a scientist to know that. And what Paul is saying here is that it shouldn't surprise you, brothers, sisters, that, that if you plant seeds over here in this field of the flesh, it's going to lead to death and corruption. And if you plant seeds over here in this field of the spirit, it's going to lead to life and to joy. Right? In chapter 5, Paul tells us the deeds of the flesh. He says this, that the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I'm just going to guess that there's probably, probably a thing or two on that list where you have to say, yep, Maybe many things on that list. Paul goes on to say, the fruit of the spirit, however, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, he says that there is no law. Whereas the deeds of the flesh, he says, if you go down that road, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit against such things, there is no law. And then he ends chapter five by telling us that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so in other words, if you're here today professing faith in Christ, if you're sitting out there in your chair today saying, yep, I'm a Christian, 
And what Paul would say to you is that you don't have to plant in this field over here anymore. You don't have to plant your seeds in the field of the flesh. Jesus has overcome this field of the flesh over here. Jesus has overcome your desire for sexual immoralities, overcome your desire for impurities, overcome your desires for sensuality and idolatry and enmity and strife and jealousy. And the list goes on and on. Jesus has overcome all of those things. So you Christian don't have to plant your seeds over here anymore. In other words, you don't have to live your life in a way that causes these things to be prevalent in your life. Because of who Christ is and because of what he's done, there's another field over here where you can plant seeds in this field that cause you love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you know, you know what happens when you plant in this field over here? You become a more joyful person. You plant a carrot seed in the ground, you're going to grow a carrot. You, you have peace become more patient. All of these virtues, we might call them, become more and more prevalent in your life. And we could talk about a number of ways that, that we can plant seeds here or there, and I'm not going to get into that today. Except to say that if we're never in the Word, right? how, how are we going to know are we going to know what God has to say to us if, if we don't read our Bibles? How are we going to know how God loves us if, if, we're, if we don't prioritize in our life the, the gatherings of the community of faith that we belong to? Those are just a couple of ways that we can plant seeds in this field over here. in The field of the Spirit. And guess what? When you plant those kinds of seeds, they're going to sprout and they're going to grow. As long as we tend to the field. Right? What happens when you stop tending to the field? Things stop growing. In verse 10, Paul gives us this encouragement. So then, in other words, because of all these things, because of this command to bear one another's burdens, because of the command to carry your own load, because of the reminder to make sure you're planting in the, in the right field, on a practical level, Paul says that as we have opportunity then let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So first he says, let us do good to everyone. Like there's no, there's no boundaries to that. Everyone you see, everyone you meet, everyone you come across, everyone you come in contact with, let's do good to everyone. Now that's, that's a hard statement because there are just some people that we don't want to do good to, Right. Right, some people that we're indifferent to, but there are some people that we might actually want to do bad to them because of maybe some of the bad they've done to us. And Paul says for the Christian, like it's not an option, do good to everyone. But especially, especially those who are part of the household of faith. So in other words, look around. And Paul's saying, especially do good to the people in front of you and the people behind you and the people next to you, people with whom you fellowship. Again, because of our mutual faith in the gospel, that it should cause us to do good to everyone, but especially to those with whom we fellowship on a regular basis. Part of the difficulty of this pandemic, and we've said this before, part of the difficulty is isolation. 
It's been hard not, not to have these gatherings. It's been hard. Yes, thankfully, we have social media and we can stay connected that way. And we have smartphones and we can stay connected that way. But it's not the same as seeing you guys face to face every week. It's just not a substitute. It's not a substitute for sharing lives together. It's not a substitute for being in each other's business in a good way. There's no substitute for that. Matter of fact, the Bible would, would argue that we're actually created to want this and to need it. Some of us fight it, but the Bible would, would say that you're created for community. You're, you're created for a spiritual community. You're created to be in a community of faith. And this is by God's good and intentional design. It's not by mistake. It's not by accident. Now I realize that this call to live this way, like it sounds like it could be a bit messy, doesn't it? <laughs> and it is. After all, nobody's perfect. We all struggle to deal with our own circumstances at times. Why in the world, if that's true, would we want to deal with other people's circumstances? <laughs> it sounds kind of crazy. Also, what sounds even crazier is like, why in the world... Why would I want to invite you into my life to deal with my mess? Why would I want to do that? Why would we consider living in such a manner if this, if this sounds a bit messy? This is where I want to end up today and leave us with this thought that this is where we see clearly the truth of the gospel. Because Jesus did for us what we could and would never do for ourselves as followers of Jesus... We're free to do for others what they could and would never do for themselves. And Paul would say that this is fulfilling the law of Christ. Because Jesus loves us unconditionally, because there's no transaction, no transactional nature of Christ's love towards us. In other words, Christ's love towards us is not based on our love back towards him. That's why it's unconditional. We're free to love others to the fullest extent that we're able because of the way that Christ has loved us. I've talked about more than once recently that, that our faith is never meant to be an, an inward facing kind of a faith. Like my faith is not about me. Your faith is not about you. Our faith is, is an outward facing faith, meaning that belief in the gospel, belief in Jesus causes us to live a life that's more others focused than self focused. Jesus lived a life of sacrifice so that you and I could be reconciled to God. And as followers of the same Jesus, he calls us to live lives that reflect the self-giving love that he has to all of creation. Does that make sense? And so what I, what I don't want to leave you with today is this call to, to bear one another's burdens and for you to think, well, that's a really difficult thing. And it is a difficult thing. And Paul doesn't leave us there either. He, he reminds us that when we live outward facing lives, that we do so in fulfillment of the law of Christ because of what Christ has done for us. And so the only way that we're going to be able to, to look at something like this and say, yeah, I'm on board with it, is, is belief in the gospel. Because the gospel compels us 
I'm not all that compelled if you were to tell me just to go bear somebody's burdens and, and walk through difficulties with people. I'm not all that compelled to do that. You probably aren't either, but, but our belief in the gospel compels us because of what Christ has done for us. Therefore, we do for others so that they could come to know Christ in the way that we know Christ. And so I want to leave you with that thought and encourage you to believe the gospel. Let me pray. Father, we're thankful this morning. Thankful that you love us and that you care for us. We're thankful that you don't leave us to live life in isolation. We're thankful that you are with us and that you provide for us other people to live in a community of faith so that we can live out our Christianity together. And so, Father, I would pray that you would help us as people who have a flesh that's pulling us in a direction that's pulling us uh, away from you and away from each other, that you would help us to plant our seeds in the field of the spirit so that we could experience the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, the things that only come from you. And so father, we admit today just our, our lack and our need. And we ask that you would help us to live the way that you've called us to live. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. David.